Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapters 6 through 10, in an episode titled Craig Loves Kate Blanchett with special guest Adam Coons joining us from Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, Ryan. Welcome. Hi, I'm here. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chapter 6 through 10. Um, yes, indeed. This is called Craig Loves Kate Blanchett. We will get to that. Uh, suffice it to say, for now, I love Kate Blanchett. She is so pretty. It quite fits the title of the episode. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we lost Gandalf. We shed some tears. I shed some tears. I know you did. Uh, but the upside is that we're coming to Lothlorien, uh, one of my favorite places in Middle-earth, um, were it to exist. Rest assured, I know it does not exist. I know it's it's hard to you could start your own colony and create Lothlorien. you could be the golden lady i hate you, you could so be much. Galadriel. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know we, we've met some elves already we went to rivendell rivendell was good i enjoy rivendell <clears throat> excuse me but while rivendell i feel like it, it's like a library where you go and you kind of remember the past and and study it uh Lothlorien is like the past right right did you get that feeling no, no, but okay. <laughs> it's okay. I when you say that, and I understand what you mean. Okay, did I get that feeling? No, but no. well, that's that's always the feeling that I get. Um, anyway, we also get to have a lot of great uh, character development. One of my favorite characters in the book is Boromir. These are kind of the chapters where we get to see his uh, fall into madness, and uh, and ultimately. We get a glimpse of his redemption, so or what passes for his redemption. Okay. Yeah. I don't see a redemption. Well, I mean, he does come to his senses, and he does try to do what he can to right his wrong. Anyway, we'll get to all that, uh, presumably, if we have enough time. Um, yeah, anyway, we, we do actually have a lot of ground to cover, uh, both in terms of geography and page count. Uh, so, as the great Sam Jackson would say, hold on to your butts. <laughs> Um, anyway, so are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay, let's play Craig's Lord of the Rings Trivia. Sweet. Here we go. Question number one. Gimli invites Frodo to look into a lake, which he calls... Uh... I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you, uh, choose one of two answers here. Okay. Ah, oh, gosh, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I can't okay. remember. In the dwarven tongue, it's Heled Zaram. Zaram. Or yeah. the mirror mirror. Oh, so okay. for, for a bonus redemption, what does the English word mirror actually mean? Mm, shiny, looky, glassy piece. <laughs> <laughs> it means lake. Oh, that's cool. Um, all right. Who leads the small group of elven scouts that finds the company on the borders of Lothlorien? Uh, Haldir. Correct. Who, side note, will not go and die at Helm's Deep. Thank you very much. <laughs> We all know the name of the Lady Galadriel, but what is the name of the Lord of Lothlorien? Oh gosh, I just meant uh, God, uh, Galadriel, the Galadriel of the people, Galadriel, Galadriel of the people. He is Lord Galadorn or something like that. Celeborn. 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 That's Celeborn. Celeborn. Fine. The season. It's Celeborn. <laughs> Elven Waybread is called. Uh, Lambus bread. Correct. Gimli, this is the same question. Gimli says that the Dale men make a version of it, which they call. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't remember, but it he is, says it's not as sweet. It is cram. Cram. That's right. I'm still giving you that one. You got uh, you got Lambus. Um, one small bite is enough to fill the stomach of a grown man. And he fills himself up with one entire <laughs> wafer, basically. All right. Each member of the company is given a gift by Galadriel. Name at least four of them. Uh, let's see. Merry and Pippin get silver belts. Uh, Legolas gets a bow with a string made of elven hair. Frodo gets the star, the light of the star of Rendil. Aragorn gets a sheath with the 
the lineage of his sword uh, that will keep his sword from ever staining or breaking even in defeat. Uh, Gimli gets three hairs from Galadriel, and Sam gets earth from Galadriel's garden. Correct. I am thoroughly impressed. That's right, people. <laughs> I got this. Um, all right, and you did miss uh, Boromir got a golden golden belt. belt. I knew someone got a golden belt, but I so, couldn't remember who I'd forgotten. No problem. He got, I think, seven of them, so that's impressive. He kind of got the consolation prize. Here's a belt. Well, gold same belt. with uh, Merry and Pippin, right? They get... They get and it had a yellow gifts. flower on it. Something like that. I don't know. I can't anyway. see Boromir wearing a yellow flower. <laughs> Uh, what is the decision that poor, tortured Aragorn keeps putting off? Uh, that's a good question. Is it to, is he deciding whether to go to Minas Tirith or to go east towards Mordor? Correct. He is trying to decide whether to take Anduril and go, uh, help to deliver Gondor or to accompany Frodo to Mordor. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. So, what are you at now? You got, uh, Haldir, you got Lembas, you got the, let's see. So, I'm gonna go, f- yeah, you got four. Four points, correct, so far. All right. What is the name of the river that they are canoeing? Um. Oh, gosh. Uh, da 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 It is... I can't remember now. <laughs> Dang it! I know the other, you know, the uh, the ant wash feeds into it. I, I'm getting all these other details, but I can't remember the stupid name of the river. Anduin the Great. Anduin. A n d u i n. Correct. Got it. The, it's the Mississippi of Middle Earth. It very <laughs> much divides east from west. All right. Praised be the bow of Galadriel, says Gimli, and the hand and eye of Legolas. For what is Gimli heaping praise on Legolas? Uh, for shooting down the dark-winged creature that was coming over the river at them. Yes, indeed. What is the Argonath? Uh, the Argonath are the two statues of the kings the, that are a, a pathway into the this other land. The, the realm other, of Gondor. The realm of Gondor, yes. yes. correct. Now, do you have... Uh, I'm going to give you that point. Um, do you have any other details on them? Uh, they have... Uh, they each have an axe, and their hands are out, pointed... Uh, it Which hand? The left Correct. hand Correct, yes, left out. hand. I don't know why this is important, but it is. It totally is. I'm getting bonus points for these details here. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, they are the likenesses of Isildur and Anarion, his brother, mm-hmm. the sons of Elendil. Uh, it was built in the Third Age, 1340, about a millennium after they ruled in Gondor and Arnor. Probably took them that long to build it from this, how big they're supposed to be. For real. Unless they had a bunch of Egyptian slaves. If Aragorn had had his way... Who would have accompanied Frodo through the Eminween? It would have been Aragorn, Sam, and Gimli. Correct. I'm impressed. I didn't think you'd get that one. Good job. Uh, good. So I think I've got eight points for you. Is it seven or eight? Um, you missed Khaled Zaram. Uh, you missed Celeborn. And I missed Anduin. And Anduin the Great. So seven points. Would you like your bonus question? I would like my bonus question. Right. Best of luck to you. It is revealed that Galadriel holds one of the three elven rings. Name that ring. Uh, I cannot name the ring, <laughs> but isn't it the ring of... It's the ring of healing or the ring of preservation. The ring of adamant, yes. It's uh, Nenya. Nenya. Nenya is N-E-N-Y-A. Well, that's true. Good job spelling the word. <laughs> I've got a spe- Can we do this as a spelling bee from here on out? I, I'll get it I was tempted to put a couple spelling questions on here. Um, all right, good. So uh, seven seven points. A respectable um, score. And uh, and challenge. we we are bringing on a respectable challenger. I do believe. Uh, I haven't met him yet, but let's go ahead and bring him on. Uh, Adam, uh, how are you doing? Introduce yourself. Good. How are you guys? Um, I am Adam Kuntz. I am a, uh, a resident of Washington, D.C., and a practicing lawyer, um, but that's going to be for the next year or so, and then I'm heading back to school to get a Ph.D. Wow. Um, in in uh, Tolkien studies, me. I'm sure. What's that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> You're saying your Ph.D. will be in the study of Tolkien, correct? That's right, Tolkien studies. Yes. <laughs> um, so give us a little bit of background, Adam, on uh, your your relationship with Lord of the Rings, your history with it, and Tolkien stuff okay. in general. 
So uh, I actually got into it because my mother is an ardent fan of uh, Tolkien. Uh, growing up, she had the books on her bookshelf. Uh, they were probably the first fantasy stories that I ever read. Um, I read The Hobbit when I was really young. Um, I read Lord of the Rings when I was, um, you know, probably 11, 12. Um, and that was around the same time I was getting into other fantasy novels like um, the Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman ones, the Dragonlance series. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. know either of those. Sure, yep. Um, and then I, but it was mostly uh, very kind of superficial as far as my interest in Tolkien was until I got to college. You don't say, um, being being 11, you, you weren't uh, deep diving into the uh, no. philosophy? I'm surprised. No. Shocked. No, I, uh, I think a lot of it kind of escaped me. It was mostly just cool stories when I was younger. But uh, when I went to college and I started uh, studying English, I, I got my bachelor's in English, I, um, I started reading, you know, The Silmarillion, and I... Um, I saw that there was much more there than what you get in Lord of the Rings and what you get in The Hobbit, and that there was an actual, there was a theory that Tolkien was operating under. And I also started getting into the notes, um, the history of Middle-earth that Chris Tolkien puts out. Talk about and, a black hole that you fall into. Um, so that's, I mean, that's my, that's my background. I started, I actually wrote a lot of papers on him in college. Um, it's been... A few years since I've really gotten deep into it, because it was law school and being a lawyer, you don't exactly apply your Tolkien knowledge to everyday life. But... <laughs> Again, shocked. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, that's that's my background on it. Yeah, you know, I you bring up something, uh, an interesting thought from my own background with Tolkien, and, and uh, which is that I had the same experience. My uh, My experience was pretty shallow, pretty surface, until I read The Silmarillion. Uh, and and then just exactly what you said, I realized there was more to what was going on. But then, you know, through, especially on this read-through that I'm doing with Ryan, uh, we're going nice and slow. Uh, really, I'm trying to take it all in. And I'm discovering that even in The Lord of the Rings, it's all there. All of these, the theory that you talk about, all of the philosophy, the doctrine that gets thrown out there. And... Uh, it's all there, but it's kind of buried a little bit under the weight of this amazing story that he's telling. Uh, and so when you read the Silmarillion, you get to kind of back out and see the big picture of what he's trying to say. Um, and then you can apply that when you go back and read The Lord of the Rings. So someday yeah. I'm going to make Ryan read the Silmarillion. Right now, I just like the pretty story. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, good. So this uh, cast, of course, is on uh, book two, chapters six through ten. We're finishing up the Fellowship of the Ring, um, and uh, we have ten, ten questions for you. Are you ready, Adam? I am ready. Okay, you got to beat my seven. Your goal is eight. Uh, here we go. Okay. Gimli invites Frodo to look into a lake, which he calls... Uh, the Mirror Mirror. Correct. All Correct. right. Do you know the Do you know the dwarvish name? It's Cal uh, uh, Cal. Uh, you're You're close. I can't remember the. That's all right. Kaled Zaram. All right. Uh, who leads the small group of elven scouts that finds the company on the borders of Lothlorien? It's uh, Haldir. Correct. We all know the name of the Lady Galadriel, but what is the name of the Lord of Lothlorien? Correct. How is it Celeborn and not Celeborn? <laughs> I've been reading it as Celeborn this entire time. Well, that's because... No, no. Tolkien is... Uh, the C's are always hard C's. Yep. Correct. Uh, I, I would give you a bonus point, but that's not on my list, so... Uh, <laughs> Elven Waybread is called... Uh, Limbus. Yes. Gimli says that the Dale men make a version of it, and what would that be called? Uh... This is... You've already scored the point. I'm just... Just, uh, you know, I don't know that. All right, it's all right. It's Cram. Oh, I would that's expect right, everybody to know Good. that. All right. Each member of the company is given a gift by Galadriel. Name at least four of them. Okay, well, uh, Boromir and the two hobbits are given uh, belts, uh, silver and gold belts, if I remember right. Legolas is given a new bow that's longer. Um, 
Frodo's obviously given the file of Arendelle. Obviously. Um, Sam is given a box of dirt, which is not <laughs> the way it is in the movies, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Dirt. Um, do you want me to keep going? I think uh, you've home. you've got four. Uh, yeah. So the okay. other ones would be Aragorn's scabbard. Uh, right. What else are we missing? Three hairs for Gimli. Um, right. All right. So, what is the decision that poor tortured Aragorn keeps putting off? Uh, the decision that he keeps putting off, uh, the direction that they should be going ultimately, whether they pass through Minas Tirith or off into Mordor. Yes, you are correct. Um, what is the name of the river down which the company is canoeing? Uh, the Anduin. Yes. <laughs> All right, I think this is the one. If you get this one, you've officially won. Praised be the bow of Galadriel, says Gimli, and the hand and eye of Legolas, for what is Gimli heaping praise on Legolas? Now say that one more time. I missed the first part. Praised be the bow of Galadriel and the hand and eye of Legolas. Uh, Five seconds. I don't know. Oh, okay. The sh <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> the shot in the dark that took out the great winged beast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, good. <laughs> I think it's a little bit unfair. I, I did read this like four hours ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Adam, what is the Argonath? The Argonaut? Yes. Uh, oh, the Argonaut. I do know the Argonaut. It's the two. It's the statues of the two kings blocking the way into Gondor. Yes, indeed. Um, That's right. All right, you've officially won, but we're going to keep going. There's uh, question number 10. If Aragorn had had his way, who would have accompanied Frodo through the Emin Wheel after the breaking of the Fellowship? Uh, Gandalf. Well, I suppose I that's guess true. That is a true answer. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Doggone you clever people. Um, <laughs> but what's the correct answer? He he would have sent himself, Sam, and Gimli oh, with yes. Frodo. Okay. All right. um, and now, as a bonus question, just uh, for the sake of being impressive, if you can, it's revealed that Galadriel holds one of the three elven rings. Can you name that ring? Uh, Ninja. Wow. All right. Wow, he just put you to shame, man. Uh, it's getting to be a standard practice. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to ask you the names of the other two elven rings, uh, would you know them? Um, Gandalf bears... Um, is it Narnia? I believe so. Nar Narnia? Narnia. Narnia. N-A-R-Y-A, if I remember right. Yep. See, he spells it too. <laughs> and then the one that... Um, See, Gandalf has the Ring of Fire. Galadriel has the, I guess it's the Ring of Air, and um, what is the other one? Oh well, doesn't Elrond it's, have it? Yeah, Elrond has it. It's, uh, I believe, it's uh, Vilia. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm impressed. What did we get? Nine points on that one? Yeah, I think you only so, missed the one. He smoked you, man. <laughs> um so adam uh did you read these chapters in preparation um i did i read them i glanced through well i didn't read them in depth i glanced through them uh yesterday night mm -hmm. um just kind of skimming through uh but i did not read them in depth but cracking them open i i you know i'm I can tell you one thing I'm going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is getting back into the Lord of the Rings because <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten how much I actually love reading the stories. Isn't it just the most amazing thing? Um, well, I wanted to ask you through, you know, as you skimmed through these chapters, is there anything uh, in here that kind of stood out to you uh, that might lend us um, some understanding as to why the Lord of the Rings has endured as, as long as it has? Um, in these chapters, I mean, you get a sense for just how, um, just how complicated all of the people's emotions really are. Um, Frodo is faced with a serious decision of his own. Um, there's a lot of deep, I guess, conflict going on with him. He loves those that have been caring for him for the past few months. He misses Gandalf. He never sees Gandalf again through the rest of the stories. So he's without his guide. Um, and when he's sitting up on uh, Ammon Hen, looking off in the distance and thinking about, you know, the the choice that's that's facing him, 
you get a lot of the conflict that's going on in him. And at the same time, that's set against the conflict that the rest of the members of the fellowship are experiencing. Aragorn wanting to help, Boromir wanting to, you know, achieve his own personal quest. And the hobbits obviously caring about their friend, particularly Sam. And I think what you get in these chapters is you're seeing kind of the, I guess, the human emotion that's going into all the characters that you don't necessarily get elsewhere in the book. And from here on out, I mean, we're talking about separate stories. We're talking about separate character development, separate plots. And so, I mean, this, these four chapters, five chapters are really, I think, some of the best writing that Tolkien puts out. And I think if anyone's going to focus on real true character development it would be these three or four chapters yeah i agree uh, i think it's um a charge that's laid against tolkien and uh, and the lord of the rings that it's often very simplistic it's yeah. a it's a very simple tale of good versus evil and uh, there are there are no conflicts in these wonderful characters who always do the right thing or always do the wrong thing you know and, and uh, yeah. I, I think you're right there's more to it and we get a good glimpse uh, in these chapters uh, did you get a sense of that, Ryan? Yeah, I did. I really think that I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with uh, the conflict that's in there. And and you get a moment here, and you've seen it a couple times, but this is a great moment, I think, in these chapters. Uh, when you look, especially at the end of the breaking for Sam, uh, you get a feeling more for Sam's love of Frodo and for how smart and how important he really is to the story. And that he's a character that I've really come to love uh, because beyond all reason, you know, the, the other hobbits are following, they're being a friend of whatever, but Sam is the devoted, the most devoted character. And in the end, when he essentially outthinks everyone else in the, in the group to get to Frodo to figure out what's going to happen, you know, I, I think it's a great uh, a moment to see, you know, to see a, a character grow and develop a little bit. Like, you know what? You know, I, I'm done following these people. I've got to make my own decision and go. And it's yeah. it, it's kind of cool. And isn't it nice that the supposedly slow-witted one is the one who figures it out. And it's not necessarily because he's so smart, but it's because he knows and loves Frodo so much. He understands Frodo. We see that and thus is able to, to find him and, and catch up to him. Well, anyway, uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining us and your thoughts. I really, uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that thought. Um, well, and thank you so much for inviting me. I sure appreciated it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you might just go on our all stars list and, uh, we'll maybe me and you will, we'll butt heads a little bit later. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right, cool. Thanks, Adam. All right, thank you. Oh, anyway, I, I want to go on uh, and continue on with this uh, character development train, and a lot of my quick-fire observations have to do with that. Do you have yours ready to go? I do have mine. So uh, who's going first? Uh, rock, paper, scissors, you. All right, sounds good. Uh, my my first one is about Sam. Uh, now we've talked about Sam already. He came up a lot in our last cast. Uh, but another thing that I've noticed about Sam is that he's a follower. And I bring this up as a positive, not a negative. Uh, we saw him, if you remember back at the council of Elrond, he followed Frodo uninvited into the council. Um, and then we see it again. He goes uninvited with Frodo and Gimli to go look at, at, uh, Khaled Zaram, the mm -hmm. mirror mirror. Uh, and then he goes up to the uh, onto the flat when Haldir stops them on the borders of Lorien. Um, and anyway, so he's he's going all these places uninvited. Um, and I, I bring this up for two reasons. First, we tend to put a premium on leadership in our culture. You know, whatever you want to call it, American culture, Western culture. You know, uh, we 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 tell our young people and every, all of our people. If you exhibit leadership qualities, then you're a worthwhile fill in the blank employee person, <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be, it, you have to exhibit leadership. And if you're a follower, if you're a sheep, you know, then mm -hmm. it, it's really brought up as a negative thing. Um, but I, I don't think that this is necessarily the right message to send because I think following is just important a skill as leading is. The trick though is, uh, is finding the right leader to follow knowing knowing the difference between when to lead and when to follow is a, is a very big deal and i believe <clears throat> knowing a little bit of the story ahead um that sam as a character knows this because there will come times where sam will step up and sam i mean it's happened already when he you know 
uh, something happens, and in that moment, he takes action. We've talked about mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Uh, when Frodo is stabbed in Moria. You know, he's already there taking action. In those moments, he is the leader. He's not following an example. He's not following anything. He steps in and says, I'm going to do this, and I do it now. And then when it's not those moments of crisis, he's more than happy to step back and say, I will follow. That's yeah, okay. he has trust in, in Frodo, who he considers to be his leader. And he says, yep, you, it's all you. I trust that you're going to make the right decision, and I'm going to follow it. Anyway, the second thing I, I want to bring up with this is that by following, Sam uh, has been privy to some of the, what I think are the most interesting parts of the story. Uh, you have the Council of Elrond, where these huge decisions are being made. The whole history of the ring is being spelled out. You have uh, the Mirror of Galadriel, which we just read, um, where by sticking by Frodo's side, he gets to see these really important discussions, these really important events. Or even, you know, when, when they were at the Mirror Mirror, not a lot was discussed in the book, but... Uh, Mary and Pippin, or one of the two of them, asks Sam, what did you see? And he can't respond. He's about to sneeze. But no, okay. <laughs> uh, he's, you know, but he's deep in thought. He saw something that was very important to him. Uh, and And if he had been a leader, then, you know, he may have missed out on that because, oh, I'm not invited. It's not my place, you know. Whereas Sam, as a follower of Frodo, thinks my place is with Frodo. It's interesting that, I mean, you can almost counter that argument a little bit with the fact that he decides to follow Frodo. You know, he's following Frodo. He's being a follower to that. But, you know, if, if I was a more of a follow, like if, if I'm being a follower mm-hmm. and someone says I'm going off on my own, then it's not my place. If I'm a leader, I might be a little more inclined to go to that. So I don't know. That might be an arguable point. Sure. Not one that I'd really, you know, spend a lot of time harping at, but I think the the fact the the point here is that Sam has be Sam has like you said been privy to a number of things and a lot of his experience on this has come from his trust and his uh, willingness to follow Frodo. Right. So much for quick fire observations. Sorry, yeah. that was a that was a big one. Um, in terms of character development or, or changes here, one of the points I wanted to bring up is uh, throughout this entire section that we read here, we get a very much more open discussion on dwarf and elf relations. Mm, dang it, that's one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's quite interesting that we get the opportunity to see these people who are not exactly, you know, they're not exactly enemies, but they're not exactly friends at this point. Um, frosty neighbors. Yes, frosty neighbors. Them. They're they're working through some things here in Lothlorien between Gimli and these people here. Um, and you can tell that there's a history of both ends. There's a history of friendship uh, where you can tell that at some point they were because they talk about being uh, trading with people of Casa Doom and, and things. But um, there's also something has occurred that has really put a rift between these these potentially great friend, you know, mm-hmm. great groups of friends, which eventually we'll see with Legolas and Gimli. Uh, no, I agree. And so I kind of want to piggyback on that with my thought, one of my next points, which is that uh, with this first real treatment of the, the elves versus dwarves schism that we get, uh, it's it's been alluded to, but like you say, now it's fleshed out a little bit more. We understand a bit why it's so remarkable that Legolas and Gimli are becoming friends. Now, I want to go a little bit different direction with it, though. Um, let me back up a little bit and say that a lot of people claim that uh, Tolkien was a bit of a racist. <laughs> and uh, it's easy to think so because all of his, uh, not all, but many of his evil characters are described as black or dark or swarthy, which is one of my favorite descriptions in there. Anyway, um but you know, I I kind of push back against that a little bit because I think that uh, when I when I think about the elves versus dwarves, uh, my understanding, I guess, my uh, the way I see it is that this is how he's commenting on what people back in the fifties or the sixties would have thought of as race relations. For him, it was all about culture, and the way that he talked about people getting along was through different cultures, not necessarily through different, uh, you know, skin colors, which, uh, you know, I understand that, uh, that that is what it boils down to, I think, for, for pretty much everybody, right? 
but uh uh but sometimes people get hung up on well you know he he describes some characters as black well you know i they were wearing black robes these black riders maybe that's what he was talking about anyway so when i i, I think it's uh I, I don't have much more to say. I just think it's very interesting when you think about uh, race relations and, and Tolkien that he gets much more into the cultural differences between people rather than the, the surface differences between them. Okay, I can see. I see what you're going for there. Um, there's one thing I want to hit on a little bit here. Uh, there is something special about Lothlorien, um, which should is kind of the understatement of, of, the, of the chapter yeah uh aragorn makes a statement when boromir kicks back about no i'm not i don't want to go there you know we, mm -hmm. we've been forced to go all these other ways i don't want to go and he says um i think the it's along the lines of uh, you say unscathed i would say i would rather you say unchanged right you won't come out unchanged, unchanged. yeah um the power of Lothlorien to change, as you watch, as you watch this, it's interesting because it's not necessarily, you know, you go in there, you change, you come out. Uh, because even the people inside Lothlorien changed while the fellowship were there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were accepting of Gimli. There was, you know, people went through a whole process. But there is something about Lothlorien that allows people to get away, to break away from whatever distractions or whatever other things are on them, and allow them to focus on something important um and it allows them to spend time and realize something in a, in a more pure form um that there's a, just a quick line and if you're not careful you'll just kind of throw it away where it says that you find out that Gimli and Legolas have been spending all this time together out mm -hmm. in Lothlorien walking around uh at the beginning you wouldn't have expected them to you you know Gimli's supposed to come in wearing a blindfold that you wouldn't expect them to be able to be able to walk freely through Lothlorien right um, but there's that change that occurs with them. And then you start to see later on, you know, Gimli praises Legolas for his, for his shot. Um, oh, right. You, know, you start to see these things have changed because people have, have gone into Lothlorien. They've had some time to think, spend time, spend in, uh, in meditation on things and moved on. And it's not always a good thing either, uh, because Boromir... He, he, like you say, he has a chance to focus on something, and he does. And what he focus on, focuses on is, you know, his fixation with the ring, and it more festers than than heals. Yeah. So, all right, I think we'll come back to that. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. What's my next one? Okay, I got a quick one for you. You remember, I think it was in the last cast, I, I brought up the idea of an orcish values system. Do you remember that? Sort of, yes. I, 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 I wondered if uh, if there's an orcish value system. And there's something here that supports my theory. <laughs> and okay. So I have to bring it up. And I'll bring it up every time there is something. Um, I, I Okay, so I was specifically thinking of when Gimli tells the company that, uh, quote, um, orcs will often pursue foes for many leagues in the plane if they have a fallen captain to avenge. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. But in order to uh, in order to avenge something, you'd have to have a discernible value system. Am I right? There has to be there has to be some sort of uh, higher appreciation because it. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll grant you that. There's some there is some basis there. Right. Okay. That's that's it. That's the entire point, and I will continue to look for things like that. Okay. Well, I want to introduce a a very brief segment that may pop up here and there um, as my next point. Uh, it's the newbie's guide to hard words. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, if there was one thing in Lothlorien that drove me crazy, is they kept referring to these different things that I did not know what they were talking about. Like using... the teeth. That is not one of the words on my list. Okay. But yes. <laughs> um, the first one they they constantly called things a flet or a, ta a talon. A talon. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what is a flet? What is a talon? And I finally had to go and look it up. Um, the it's an open platform. Built in a Malorn tree uh, of Lorien as a living place for the elves that you reach by using a ladder to get through a hole in the center. I was sitting here the whole you, time. Okay. You must have missed the description in the that first chapter. Well, I remember there. him talking about you know going up the mm -hmm. going up the ladder mm -hmm. and things, but there was nothing saying you know you know hey you know uh, Haldir doesn't go hey Frodo check out my nice flat 
No. Let me let me define this for you. No, I I think um, with something like that, it's uh, it's I I see a thing, I name it. That's what it is, right? And so that's what Tolkien's doing. He's just saying this is a flat. Now you have the definition because they're on it. You know. Yeah. The anyway, other one of the other ones here ones. is uh, a the Nath or Gore. Now, admittedly, I I didn't feel as bad when I looked this one up. Nath is actually a word um, that is. Oh, and what's the language in Sindarin? Not Sindarin. 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 Um, it means it's something, it's a pointed or an, or a, you know, it's like this top the head of a spear, a spearheaded mm -hmm, moment. Mm -hmm. And so when Frodo and everyone gets to this, the Nath of Lorien, uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> what's the Nath? Where's the Nath? Do I have a Nath? Do I need to have it removed? What's, yeah. what's going on? And so I guess it is the, it's the, entry point of something i could forgive anybody for being a little bit annoyed at something like that but yeah <laughs> i'll admit um good any other hard words or are we going to save that i will pass i will pass for now there's a few more hard words in there but i'm going to pass on them for yeah. now all right um okay another bit of character uh flaw that i'm going to point out uh, is it just me or is legolas a bit of a smart ass Sorry about the language, I should be better, but uh, that's the only word that I could come up with to describe him. He so Are you talking about when he says, oh, the stiff neck? No, that, that... no, 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 that's not it. So you remember back when they're, they're climbing Caradras, and, uh, and they're all freezing in the snow, and he says, I'm going to go fetch the sun, and he like laughs and, and runs away. Remember that? Yes, yes, I do. He's just being a, a total jerk, you know. <laughs> and then there's the moment when the orcs are after him, and uh, and they're about to climb up the tree, and one of the hobbits is complaining, like, "Oh crap, I can't spend the night in a tree. That's crazy." And Legolas says something like, "Well, then just dig a hole in the ground, you moron. You know, <laughs> but you're gonna have to dig fast. Dig fast and dig deep, for the orcs will find it." Right, exactly. And I'm like, "Dude, you're, you know, Gandalf. Every once in a while, he'd lose his temper, but I felt like he was a little bit provoked on on those occasions. Like they're expecting too much of him. And Legolas is just totally unprovoked. I'm gonna take a nice little jab at you." There's another moment he does that in this exact same section, and it's when Haldir calls for the rope to be sent across they send across a single rope they tie it off and he says i have the skill to cross this but will the other guys have to swim yeah and, yeah and they're like no no don't worry we've got a, another one that's shoulder height and then we'll throw one more across it you know for the hobbits to be able to use and they'll just have to navigate it with some skill so you know what maybe the elves have a little bit of a <laughs> I, I would uh, i would definitely say the elves have a tendency to have a bit of a superiority a, a superiority complex. complex you know being a little condescending you know mm. well i can run across the rope by myself you know we can all tight rope we all learned as kids but uh this dwarf <laughs> here let me tell you you better throw a couple more ropes on there yeah well go go elves <laughs> Okay, well, I want to throw, I want to discuss just briefly, do we understand exactly what Gladriel's gift is, her ability? Because she utilizes it when, and I'm not necessarily talking about the ring, talking, she come, they come in, they stand before the lady, and they all seem to have whatever they want, like whatever their deepest wishes or their, their most difficult decision presented to them in their minds and they're forced to, to confront it while they're dealing with Galadriel. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how they felt like she was boring into their soul. Or right. she, could, she could see into them. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if we know what... You mean like the mechanics of how this works? Not necessarily the mechanics. I'll come is. back to that in a minute. But just is there a description like Galadriel had the ability to allow people to see what they want? Is she, you know... She is the Sword of Shannara. Or the Mirror of Eriset. Um, Eriset? The mirror, <laughs> yeah, from Harry Potter. No, she's the mirror that, that, that you see, um, which we can talk about the mirror of Galadriel in a minute anyway. But yeah, I just, I would, was waiting to look for, is there something, will we get some sort of descriptions to what Galadriel's gift is and her ability and why it's so, why she's so important to meeting with the Fellowship? Um, and no, I think uh, what we've read here is what we're going to get. She'll pop up. Um later in the book but not in a not in uh, a driving capacity like she does here yeah so i think any answers that we're going to get we're going to find in these chapters i don't know what do you think well 
I, I'm going to throw off our rhythm here a little bit and jump to my next point because it actually comes off of this. Yeah. All right. Then I get to do two in a row. That's fine. You jerk. Um, th- we get a brief discussion about magic in this realm here. Ah, uh, yes. And it's at the mirror. Galadriel mm-hmm. talks to Sam. Says this. You know, you wanted to see elf magic, and this is what. Uh, based on what you're saying, this would be considered elf magic, although I don't understand why you call it magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a couple things here. You know, we haven't had a lot, we've had a lot of magical magic happening, but we don't see a lot of, you know, uh, wand waving or, or anything. It's just magic kind of exists and Alohomora. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I found this interesting. This is one of the first times that we actually get confronted with the idea of magic exists here, but we're not going to explain it because it's not magic to everyone. Yeah, and I, I, I've i thought a lot about this. I can't say a lot, but I've thought about this um, through my several readings of this book. And she, so what she says is, or she or one of the other elves, I can't remember, says, well, you guys call this magic, but you use the same word for what the enemy does. And yeah. so that's confusing to us. And it leads me to believe that... Um, what we might call in our modern parlance, we might call technology. Um, they might call magic. And so when I mean technology, I don't mean gadgets and gizmos, uh, a plenty. Yes. Thank you very much for that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, I don't mean that necessarily, but the ability to make and create, uh, something useful or worthwhile or whatever it is, technology. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the the elves, well, okay, so you go to the enemy and you go to Saruman with his mind full of metal and wheels and gears and whatnot, and he creates these machines. It's magic, right? The things that he's able to do, and you'll you'll see that later. I'm sure you have not seen him blow up the wall of Helm's Deep in the in the movies. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, so the the elves are on a different plane where they are also doing making creating these things but they do it in a more uh artistic way with oh oh, let's go back to our our bombadil discussion with mastery versus dominion where the enemy seeks dominion over uh you know this this machine or maybe dominion over this element how to control water how to control I'm going to tell These you what to things. do, and you're going to do right. it the way I say you're going to do it, rather than. Whereas the the elves have mastery over these different uh, these different things, and are thus able to work with them instead of over them, instead of fighting to control it. Right, and so maybe if it's if we're talking about how Galadriel is able to peer into the souls of of the the fellowship, it's not that she has some magic mind reading ability, but maybe she's mastered the way to hold someone's gaze. And, you know, how to how to look at them just the right way so that they then turn their thoughts inward. And, you know, and, and she so she's able to. Am, am I am I way off base here? Is this crazy? No, it, it's it could be that I don't I don't think it's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that would you'd have the subtext of Galadriel sitting there like, just hold the gaze. Just stare <laughs> awkward. Just got to hold the gaze. And now they're awkward. Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, for me, I think for me, the way I envision this magic working is to say, you know, yeah, they have a greater understanding of how the world around them works and they can control that and and have learned to manipulate things or control things that way. And so perhaps her ability there is simply that when they enter this, when they enter this room and, and they come and they're confronted by Galadriel, mm-hmm. all that she does is perhaps is her magic is to be able to set them at ease to remove any inhibitions from them. So they're forced to deal with whatever is left, whatever comes to, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. there's more than an awkward staring contest, but less than <laughs> some hocus pocus, I guess. All right. All right. So, um, I get two points in a row. I'm very excited. Uh, speaking of Galadriel, I really like Galadriel. She is well, one of my, one of my favorite characters in the book. I, they're all so good. I love all the characters and the way don't they're drawn. Don't care for but her in the movie. You don't? I don't. But oh, I do care. Man. I like her in the book. I gotta say, I you know, one. I, I wanted to mention two things with Galadriel. And the first was that, uh, you know, I, I try not to bring up the movies too much in these podcasts. But I love Kate Blanchett in these, in these uh, mm-hmm. films. 
I think she hit it spot on. So Galadriel is, she seems very, very aloof at first. It takes her a while to speak after the company comes and, and is speaking with her and, and Celeborn. Uh, but pretty soon it comes to light that not only is she very wise, but my favorite thing about her is that she's also very, very kind. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it really shines through uh, in the book version especially, but I think, uh, I, I thought Kate Blanchett uh, got, she got it pitch perfect as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, everybody can have their differing opinions and, and you can be wrong as much as you want. Uh, but I thought she was wonderful. Now I I want to I want to just briefly clarify here. I don't have a problem with Kate Blanchett's depiction of Galadriel. Mm-hmm. I think the whole Lothlorien sequence in the film is sadly lacking in what the book provides. Mm. I and yeah. Because to me, in the films, Galadriel came across as a very like to me, she was this super amazing power that existed, and everything else in the world was lesser than her and. I just, when I read the book, I'm like, no, that's not Galadriel. That's not how she thinks of herself. At that's least. not at all. You know, when she gets to the moment at the mirror in the films and you would have a queen. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for deafening me, by the way. Sorry. You know, I just, I usually, I'm, I jump that section sometimes cause I'm like, nah, I'm good. It's so, well, my second point about Galadriel actually has to do with, with that because when I got to that portion of it, I had a little bit of a different reading than I ever have before. And I think it's because I, you know, had been so fresh off the movies with other versions that I couldn't help but think of it in that way. But um, when I got to that portion, I couldn't help that the same quality which we brought up um, last time that gave Sam his quick-to-action bravery, the fact that he'd, you know, he'd already made the decision of what to do, is the same, uh, it's the same thing that gave Galadriel her power to reject the ring. So she's offered the ring. Um, it, she resists the temptation of, of the ring because of a choice she made a long time ago. And in fact, she tells Frodo that for many long years, she has pondered what she would do in just this situation. And so it's, um, when that came up and she started to talk about, you know, you will, you will not have a dark Lord, but you will have a queen. It's instead of, her, you know, in the movie, she's kind of imagining herself in that role and and projecting all this power and stuff. She was actually, in this reading, I thought she was explaining to Frodo and Sam, this is what will happen if I actually take the ring. She's explaining before she ever says no, she's explaining why she's about to say no. Because just like Gandalf back in chapter two, when Frodo offers him the ring, Gandalf says, no, I mean, I... I would take the ring out of a desire to do good, but but I wouldn't. I would end up becoming a new Dark Lord. Galadriel's doing the same thing. So you may think that you're, you are giving the ring to the right person, but instead of the queen that you think I would be, I would end up in this other way. Yeah, and for cinematic purposes, I get the choices that they made with, you know, Gandalf's, don't tempt me, Frodo, <laughs> and everything. But I think I think you're right. I think at this moment, all these these major characters who are presented with the ring and have to deal with this moment, mm-hmm. those who have made the decision before or know the consequences, like they know what would happen if they took the ring, in that moment, it's, you know, maybe there's some temptation, maybe it's a bit of a struggle, but... Th- Either they're walking Frodo with why I need to say no, or they're reminding themselves why they need to say no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when we hit Boromir later on, who has not, you know, he's only thought about the benefits of it. He hasn't thought about the consequences of what could happen if he takes the ring. It corrupts him and mm-hmm, brings him into that, mm-hmm. that fall that we, that we come into a little bit later. Agreed. Good Gandalf, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so last point, uh, and this is a quick one. Sometimes this book, I feel like it reads just like a fairy tale. If you read a lot of uh, fairy tales, maybe Grimm, maybe uh, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, whatever, go go read a bunch of fairy tales. And then you read the section when um, it's at the beginning of um, when they're the beginning of the chapter when they're about to leave Lorien and Aragorn is presented with the option to take the West Road and you go to Gondor where the grass is green and the girls are pretty uh, <laughs> or you go east through the brownlands emin wheel the dead marshes gorgoroth you know these terrible sounding places and i i, I couldn't help but think of the um 
the virtuous prince who is on his way to the castle to save the princess and he's faced with two choices he can go down this path that is you know wide and easy and sunlit and uh but you know as the reader oh that's going to take you off into some you know uh unwanted paths and and it'll be the wrong choice or you can you'll never get anywhere right or you can you you can go through the uh the the dangers that must be confronted in order to complete your quest and anyway so that was that's the extent of that thought it just reminded me very strongly of all those fairy tales oh yeah i can definitely see that the the you mean you could literally put a fork in the road with a sign that says this way to death this way to happiness exactly i mean you have to take and death death looks very nice (laughs) um for my last point I oh, just, I thought you. Oh, no. Never mind. All right. I have. I get the last. Can't point. believe I have to sit through another one of these. Seriously, deal with it. Um, I want to talk about the gifts offered and the gifts uh, asked for. Mm. Don't want to take a lot of time, but the gifts that were given to each of the members. Is there, uh, other than Frodo's? I mean, these gifts for the most part were tailored to each individual person. Uh, what, I don't know how long they actually ended up spending. I know they talk about that. They they actually don't know how long they've actually spent in Lothlorien. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a couple of the gifts were throwaways. Like the belts? The belts. It's like, yeah. Give them they gotta get something. You gotta give them something. Give them a belt. A gold belt and two, sil- you know, two silver belts or whatever it was there. Um, but when they get to Glad, when they get to Gimli, and he asks, you know, everyone else has been tailored to them and they just don't know what to give to Gimli or don't know. He says, whatever you ask, I'll give. He gets three hairs. Is that not the most wonderful passage ever, by the way? I thought, it, I think it's very poetic and beautiful yeah. in its own anyway, way. Anyway, go on with your point. But I, what I want, my, my point here, what I want to know is what, I guess, why were... Why were the gifts that were given to everyone else so important to them? And why was why were the three hairs from Gimli uh, given to Gimli? Why was that the greatest thing he could have gotten? Good question. I don't know. That's something to think about. I, you know, I that's without without having a, a definitive answer. I can only think that the beauty and the change that he felt in Lothlorien, he wants something to remember that by and take yeah, with him. That's, that's where my mind to, was going. Because he's going to take the three hairs and he's going to put them into a diamond or into something and, and make them into an heirloom for his house. Right. You know, here's hairs from a elf lady. <laughs> Who was super hot. Yeah, well. Apparently. But, yeah. I, I just thought there's there's something to the gifts being given and the gifts that were asked for that says something about each of the characters. And it says, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, with that, I, I think um, if that is the perfect gift for Gimli then the reason it might be that is because Gimli, more than anybody else in the Fellowship, as far as we can tell, has accepted the beauty of, of first of all, Galadriel, um, and not just physical beauty, but the beauty of her character and, and mm-hmm. her personality, and, and as well as the beauty of Lothlorien itself, um, at face value. And he accepts them for what they are, not necessarily for selfish reasons but he he seems to genuinely enjoy their existence Mm -hmm. um and 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 that's it and so like you said he has he wants something to remember that by that feeling of of um i don't know what completeness happiness whatever he discovered in love yeah Yeah. Yeah. those are my points okay well we could riff on that for a while but we won't um good well there are a few things that um we man those points took a lot longer than normal <laughs> this is going to be because it, it's going to be a long episode yeah for real i um i had a couple points that i wanted to go into more detail on but shoot we did a lot of detail on some of those points um you mentioned lothlorien as, as a special place as a, a significant place and i i think you have absolute license to say that and i was struck uh, on during this reading that lothlorien felt very much like a religious experience um as as we understand it in our daily lives and let me explain what i mean first of all there's some religious imagery going on 
Uh, you have the company crossing the river Nimrodel. If you remember that, it's right on the borders of Lothlorien, and they're just crossing in. And uh, it says that the water is healing to the weary. And as Frodo crosses, he, quote, felt that the stain of travel and all weariness was washed from his limbs. Does that sound like Christian baptism to you? Sure, well. <laughs> You're leaving, you know, you, you have the the difficult world and your travel weary and stained and and the whole idea of baptism is you're cleansed and you're preparing yourself to enter this uh this different life this different world i can go with that well i would argue whether or not that's the point being made but yes i can go with that i can yeah. call that imagery uh, <laughs> you call that imagery <laughs> that's good i appreciate your charity um <laughs> anyway um and, and so it got me to thinking of, of could we not equate, but, you know, could we compare the company's entrance to Lothlorien to the way that people in our lives experience religion? And uh, how do I put this? I don't know many religions that start out with, we could have shot you in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, only the best ones. Um so Aragorn says that Lothlorien is fair and perilous, but only evil need fear it, or those who bring some evil with them. And it, it struck me, isn't that kind of how religion operates? Um, even, or especially, I should say, especially for religious people. Um, many who cross the threshold into religion or into Lothlorien find that like Aragorn, they can finally be at peace. And then others, like Boromir, that carry something with them, some pride, some other sin that they can't let go of, and it just wreaks havoc on their psyche the longer that they stay in that place. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, it, we, we're both uh, church-going fellows. Have you ever noticed that uh, the best people and the worst people you ever knew were really quite religious? Have you ever noticed that? At least that, I mean, that's been my observation. So I assume it's true for everybody. It's, it is a fairly common, uh, that is a common denominator. There are a lot of the more interesting individuals I know who, on both ends, the, the really good and the bad, do have a very devout belief in something, whether it be religious, uh, a belief in God, or a very devout belief in their, themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Most of the time it's in themselves. I will tell you that, you know, and we can get off into this long ten tangent if we're not careful here, but most of the people who are the good people, uh, who are really good, and whether that be by because of their religion or whatever, have a, a great gift at looking outside themselves, which is what we see in like a Galadriel in this. The people who we find to be the most difficult are those who are the ones who look uh, inward and at, at themselves and glorify kind of the, their own actions there uh more of the boromirs mm -hmm, where it's mm -hmm. for the glory of my people i will be the king and i will you know do these things there's your your you know your two different types there both having religious experience moving through right so yeah it's a i think there's uh we, we mentioned boromir a little bit earlier in his struggle in lothlorien i think there's a certain psychic damage that comes when you linger in a place where you're held to a certain standard which you're not keeping which you pretend that you are. Does that make sense? So it, there's there's the part where um, they're all talking about uh, what you were mentioning. She was offering them, you know, their their heart's deepest desire or, you know, whatever. And it gets to Boromir and, and he says, yeah, she offered me the easy way out or whatever it was. And he says, of, of course, it goes without saying. I didn't listen. You know, I, I didn't take the the easy way out because i'm i'm so good you know i'm i'm such a, a a great man and it's uh anyway it's that pride that he has that uh that kind of eats at him and mm -hmm. and then when he leaves lothlorien it continues you know it's not like he was totally changed there but that experience uh amplified that part of his character so that when he left it kept festering and festering until it came to a head and three arrows in her chest. At least. Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess we can leave that there. I didn't mean to get you into religion. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I just, 
I think I think you are right. There's something about that that you can definitely go down that path and look at the Lothlorien as a religious experience. Yep, yep. I have one more. Do you have anything else that you want to bring up? No, I think I'm good. Okay. I'll follow yours. Last one. Um, there's, do you remember back when we were talking about the old forest and you leave the Shire and you go into the old forest and I was kind of comparing that to like fantasy or fairy tales or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Uh, similar thing here. Um, but uh, in, in you're you're leaving the comforts and you're you're moving into peril, I guess. Mary, so I, I want to paint a picture for you about Mary. <laughs> so you picture Marriottuck Brandy Buck, Brandy Buck. I can't say that word apparently. He left the Shire, and since then, he's been chased down by black riders, attacked by a mountain, attacked by wargs, attacked by some giant tentacled lake dweller thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got trapped in an abandoned mountain mine. He came face to face with an army of orcs, got chased by those orcs. He watched Gandalf die at the hands of a Balrog. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of this would have been totally beyond his imagination when he left the Shire. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, at a certain point he's talking to Haldir and he says he wishes he'd have stayed in the Shire. If he'd known just how crappy the world was, he would have stayed put. Right. And Haldir says, uh, he says, uh, not even to see fair Lothlorien, the world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but still, there is much that is fair, and though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. And I had to go back and reread the sentence, because when he says that it grows greater, he's referring to the fair things in the world. I thought this was a wonderful little concept, um something that really jumped out to me and so i had to bring it up here the idea that um that grief makes your life better it seems counterintuitive but it's something that comes up uh, in in tolkien all the time the idea that the elves which are supposed to be this kind of more perfect race are very sad but they're also very happy so they're both sadder and happier than the other races Anyway, and it, it, it's uh, it's nice to kind of think about uh, the difficult things in life making the nice things in life even nicer, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you can even get to the most basic things like sleep. The more tired you are, uh, the better sleep is. Or the more hungry you are, the better that food is going to taste. And then you get to the, you know, the more serious things in life. If you lose someone that you love... You cherish the memory of them even more. You cherish your own life even more. It makes things uh, sweeter. Yeah, it's the whole concept of uh, the the existence of opposites is for us to be able to identify mm-hmm. one from the other and to truly experience. And the greater the opposite, the greater the the feeling of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that each causes so and i think that's yeah i think it's very beautiful that haldir puts it that way that they're the beautiful things are are growing greater because i think um one of the overarching things that i've picked up so far um while reading and from discussing this with a few people is that the little things and the continued pushing forward um, makes a difference and those are the actions that help us see the get us through the the bitter things and the great things and be able to identify which, which is which, which. Mm-hmm. yeah and and uh you mentioned that you know you, you have to get past them i think that uh, the problem for a lot of folks is that they want to stay in the shire right even if the bad things are happening they want to avoid feeling pain they want to avoid thinking about it and uh but you have to go on the journey right in Mm -hmm. order to to get through it and so when bad things come your way you know maybe it's a minor annoyance maybe it's an actual serious tragedy i think you have to allow yourself to really feel it you have to go through the minds of moria um rather than pretend it didn't happen or that it didn't affect you and you know i i think that if you allow grief to be a part of you um and really feel it then it will make the world sharper better and more enjoyable more beautiful yeah and you'll learn 
you'll learn wh- you know what is what and you'll have moments where you know like a, on the mount of uh caradras 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 you know sometimes you'll learn i have to admit defeat this route but mm-hmm. i can take a different route and then you have to go through another difficult another different way so these are all great life lessons that we can pull from uh, from this let's just story. start our own dang religion I've got a Bible for you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone out there is like, oh, I've already got a congregation. You yeah, just exactly. come join here. I heard of a place down in Arizona that they had something like that. They thought that the portal to Middle Earth was in the Grand Canyon, somewhere <laughs> in the Colorado River. Well, I've already got hairy enough feet. I'll be a hobbit. <laughs> you do. <laughs> if, you, if only you guys listening could see, uh, Ryan has the hobbitiest hobbit feet you ever did see. It's... Yeah, it's a little gross. <laughs> oh, stop rubbing me. That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, you make me sick. That's what I aim for. All right. Well, uh, congratulations, Ryan. You finished the fellowship. Um, I think we'll do a wrap-up cast uh, for a few minutes and, and talk about uh, what we just read and what we're going into. And... Yeah, we haven't even touched Ammon Hen or any of the you know the river and like that. We pretty much stayed in Ralph Lauren for this one, so... Definitely hit it on the next one. All right. Sounds good. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, Check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com. And also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.